0: A sticking point for mono and polytheistic religions alike, it is thought that Epicurus was probably the first to raise the problem of evil. It centres on how we can reconcile the existence of evil in the world with an omnibenevolent, omniscient, and omnipotent God. I'm Alice Harbert, and here with me to discuss the problem of evil are Luke Martin, completing a PhD in philosophical theology at Oxford, um, Fraser McDermott, who graduated last year in theology at Christchurch and is now studying for a master's in patristic theology, and Tilak Parak a final year undergraduate reading theology and religion at Oxford, researching Hindu theology and comparative Hindu-Christian theology. Luke, perhaps you could give us your version of the problem of evil.
1: Sure. So first, um, we might want to distinguish between two types of evil. First, moral evil, and second, natural evil. So let's let moral evil be evil that comes as a result of free human action and we can let natural evil be evil that doesn't come as a result of free human action so example of moral evil would be um, theft murder rape example of natural evil might be an, an earthquake
0: um so
1: natural disasters natural disaster or. Uh, some illnesses which don't come as a result of say bad health or a bad lifestyle or something like that. Okay. okay? So to the arguments. Uh, four premises and a conclusion. Premise one if God if there is a God, he or she is all powerful. Premise two if there is a God, he or she is all good. Premise three an all powerful and all good good god could and would prevent evil from taking place in the world premise four there is evil in the world therefore the conclusion god does not exist
0: Mm, it's pretty damning so does everybody else agree with that conception of the problem of evil tilak what's about you
2: i think the problem of evil is conceptualized very differently in hinduism um For example, if there are two paintings and there was a shade of blue in both, the way the blue is seen, the way the blue is perceived, the perception of that blue colour is dependent on the colours in the painting surrounding that that blue patch. So in the same way, there is evil in Hinduism and in Christianity, but the way the problem is conceptualised and thought of is very, very different.
0: I Uh, see. So do you have the same distinction between natural evil and moral evil?
2: Yes, I think the the distinction remains. Mm. uh, But at the same time, the problem isn't really a big problem in Hinduism. Ah, it's so why exep- that? It's an accepted uh, fact of life. Okay. And evil is seen as something that's part of the natural order of the world. Rather than a divine problem, it's seen as a human issue um, and part of the natural mechanics of the universe.
0: Could you give us an example, then, of how Hindus would deal with the problem of evil in real life?
2: Um. So, before going to sort of a practical... Uh, look at the way Hindus deal with the problem of evil, I think it would be good to to ground ourselves in a bit of theory first uh, with the the notion of karma. Uh, Karma is one of the key sort of cornerstones of Hindu theology whereby there's a law of cause and effect. So our actions in previous births and our current lives give us fruits, whether that that be bad, those those be good. If I were to push a granny, I would be i receive the fruits of that. If I were to help someone, I'd receive the fruits of that too. So the evil that happens to us is generated by ourselves. Um, and several texts, canonical Hindu texts uh, like the Upanishads, state this fact. Um, so that means Hindus deal with evil in a very different way. For example, I, I, an example comes to mind currently of um, of an attack on, on a Hindu temple in 2002. It's a massive complex um, and... Swami Swami in Gandhi Nagar in India, and terrorists attacked the place and they killed about 32 people, wounded 70. When the leader of the of the organisation, Brahmukh Swami, uh, arrived at the place, he said that we should pray for everybody, and it was God's doing. Um, so that's that's really a microcosm of how Hindus deal with with the problem of evil, even in their homes.
0: So if we were to bring that into comparison with what Luke's saying. Then perhaps the premise that they wouldn't agree with is the idea that God would and should do something about evil in the world if it's present.
2: Yes. Um,
0: perhaps they see evil as more a sort of um, a, pr- a process of how humans become than um, uh, something which should be prevented.
2: Yep. So as I said, karma is the mechanics of the universe. And there's, there's an analogy given in the Brahma Sutras, another canonical text of Hinduism, where they there are seeds planted in the ground. And God provides the rain and the soil. How that seed grows is dependent on the, 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 the genetic DNA of the seeds. So my karmic uh, fruits, my karma, my desires are in the seed. And that's how I'll grow. And that's the fruits I'll experience. God provides the same rain, the same soil to everybody. Mm. So... The evil we experience or the good we experience is due to our uh, actions.
0: I see. So evil is a problem for people and not for God. Yeah. Fraser, what do you think about. Returning to Anglicanism for the minute, what would you think about Luke's conception of the problem of evil?
3: Well, I think what we've had so far are two very adequate um, descriptions, but two very adequate descriptions which are sort of touching upon very different metaphysical. Um, Constructs. Yes. So we've had one sort of um, what I, want, I call a monist approach in, in Luke's description, and we've had a Hindu approach in Tirak's. Um And I think what I would like to f- sort of flag up is that these aren't necessarily the only ways that we would deal with, we might deal with evil. Um, the monist approach that, that Luke, Luke um, explained sort of grew up within, well, I suppose originally through the through the sort of Jewish Abrahamic religions, but in Christianity um, its main proponent was Augustine, who was a great 4th uh, and 5th century Christian theologian. Um, but uh, alongside the same time that Augustine was, was alive um, were another group of Christians uh, called the Manichees, whom Augustine was actually one of uh, originally. And um, they, they, they would reject the, the um, description of God as all-powerful, Um, they preferred to believe that that they they sort of um, experienced evil in such a uh, personal, such a devastating way, I suppose. There was no way that they could, in good conscience, attribute evil to God.
0: This is very interesting because I suppose what we're seeing here is that um, it's up to an individual to define how they take evil to affect their life.
3: Sure, and I suppose this might be i mean especially easy to say in the 21st century but uh back in, in these times it was definitely the the religion to which you subscribed would determine how how one looked at looked at evil and and just to to finish off the, the manichaeans um they they said instead of saying that evil is due to that all powerful god they they conceptualized it differently they said this all powerful this this benevolent god is actually in sort of competition with a A completely evil god there are two there's a sort of cosmic battle going on if you kind of imagine a sort of star wars situation you've got the force the 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 good side against the dark side and the world is kind of the battleground so you can see forces for good you can see forces for evil but in in no way should we say that the good god is is responsible for the for the for the bad and actually that's got that's a very um interesting way of conceptualizing evil for the person because Moral evil is suddenly—it's not um, one's not responsible oneself for moral evil because if evil is the result of you know a situation beyond your control and is is the result of um, the dark dark side for want of a better phrase—you're um, suddenly able to say well any evil action I do isn't um, isn't my own doing but is is that of sort of some cosmic force so the it's, it's Augustine at least so it's, found it very. Uh, helpful and cathartic for his his
1: sort of guilt-plagued conscience. That's uh, that's really interesting, Fraser. I was wondering whether you comment um, upon some contemporary uh, religious movements within Christianity, which attribute some natural uh, and moral evil to um, to the devil, the devil or demons. So, to my mind, this is. Su- but I don't know the uh like you do, but this is slightly different from what they're saying, but there's still a, s- a similarity where there's this evil being and his minions, his demons, and they get blamed for um, earthquakes or for um, the bad things that people do. Do you think there's a similarity between the two?
3: Definitely, yes. And I'm, I think actually, I think you're touching on sort of more evangelical Christianity, oh. um, which in the States might say that anything... That, that one considers evil, be it sort of um, murder or, or rape, or in some situations gay people um, or sort of, you know, whatever, um, is due to the devil. Um, and I'm not sure that's actually consistent with the monist approach that, that you set out at the start, because there's the problem of why is there a devil? Um, most Christians would say would say because Satan fell, it was as a result of his free will. But then, of course, one has to ask, you know, why did God make it so that Satan fell? Um, So,
0: Fraser, can you just give us the story about Satan falling?
3: So, generally, I suppose the argument runs as follows. God created um, all the angelic dominions, all of the heavenly powers, one of which was called Lucifer or Satan. He um, decided that this state in which he he was... subordinate to god yet in perfect bliss wasn't enough for him so he decided to grasp towards um he envied god's power and god's sovereignty and t- decided to grasp towards it um and as a result of that he fell back towards the sort of the nothingness to, out of which he came is um, this
0: before earth is created
3: <laughs> and that's a good question um I'm not sure it's because, of course, the, the angelic powers aren't, aren't mentioned in Genesis 1 and 2. So I don't think Christianity has a strict answer to that question. But it comes up more in, I think, medieval theology. So this story is
0: um, a product of medieval theology more than the Bible?
3: Satan is, is mentioned several times in the Bible, um, but I think it certainly becomes a, more of a caricature yes. in medi- medieval theology, certainly. Yes.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
2: See, with Hinduism, there is no evil entity there is suffering but there is no evil as such there is no equivalent of satan and for example the god of death known as yomuraj is actually revered sometimes and even worshipped because he gives justice and at the same time
0: is that justice in the form of um appropriate requital for bad action yes death as punishment
2: so once again I, there is There's a totally different metaphysical basis for Christianity and Hinduism. Yes. With Christianity, there is only one life. With Hinduism, there are infinite lives as reincarnation. So if I were to commit evil deeds right now, I would suffer them with my karma in my next life. But also in between, uh, when Yamaraja comes to collect me for death, he'll take me to a temporary hell where I would also suffer a little bit. But there's also, you know, one of the biggest things that we see in suffering is death. It's the, the climax of suffering, perhaps. But for Hinduism, death is perhaps just another name for life. Because time is seen as cyclical destruction, mm-hmm. creation, destruction, and creation. In fact, um, there are three gods considered to be sort of the stewards of the earth uh, the creator, the sustainer, and the destructor. The destructor is known as Shiva. And he is a very, very popular deity uh, within Hinduism. So, despite his, his task to destruct the world, he is revered as a god which sort of shows the different sort of paradigm Hinduism uh, gives to the debate.
0: Yes, I can see um, probably important here to distinguish then between suffering and um, evil as a force. I suppose that means that Shiva perhaps doesn't run the same risk as Satan as maybe exculpating those who do wrong because you you have the idea of karma to sort of punish people for wrongdoing later on whereas perhaps there's a concern there that those who weigh Satan too heavily in their theology are in fact... Sidestepping the blame for their bad actions—would you say that's an accurate criticism, Fraser?
3: I think definitely, and I think it's also be interesting to look at how perhaps Judaism would, would view this. Mm. Um, for example, in Judaism, there's not s- such a distinction between this life and the next life. There's not that the afterlife is thought to be a sort of shadowy place called Sheol, um, where everyone goes no matter what their actions are like in this this life. So justice is very much thought to be dispensed in this life. So mm-hmm. it's natural that the good will be rewarded for um, their good actions by riches and prosperity in this life, and the evil should be rewarded with, um, you know, horrible things. Um, and, of course, it's a big, very big question, in Jewish literature, when this doesn't occur, Yes. why this is. And this is kind of how the Jewish um, philosophy framed the question of theodicy, which is why how, how God can be justified and how evil can, be, can coexist with a benevolent God.
2: I think going back to the topic of the devil, it seems like the devil's there to get God off the hook, but it also gets humanity off the hook. So I'm not too sure about how that fits yeah.
1: in. I mean, does it really get God off the hook, though? Because if God's all powerful and all knowing. You know, he created a world in which there were these angels. He knew that this angel was gonna fall and he knew that the angel was gonna cause the uh, the the devil's gonna cause this evil in the world. So still you gotta bring it back to God and say, you know, why did you create a world in which the devil fell and and, and caused the evil that, that he he has done? If you think he
2: I think that's an interesting question because it because it goes back to the question that's been plaguing theology for for generations: it's the mystery of God. Um, why does God do what God does? Uh, there's a notion of you know humanity just not knowing we're finite beings. God is a, an infinite being, and even in Hinduism, there comes a point where you have to say, with, with, with sometimes with natural evil as well, um, that God's it's God's will. And God does things because he knows what he's doing. And it reminds me of a, of a story that uh, I was reading the other day. Um, a 19th century figure, uh, popularly revered as God by many, uh, Swami Narayan. Uh, he was travelling in a cart and he had a cart driver. And a bunch of men came and asked, you know, We've, someone's stolen our jewellery, who's got it? And Swami Narayan said that, oh, the cart driver has stolen it. Uh, the men came and they beat the cart driver. Uh, and they went after. And then the cart driver asked Swami Narayan, "Why, why did you allow that to happen? I didn't do anything. And then Swami Narayan said that, you know, you were beaten for six minutes, and I've wiped away six of your next lives uh, in, the, in those six minutes, and you'll attain liberation now. So the story, I think, just goes to show that God's doing is sometimes inaccessible to humans. Uh, and God does what he likes, really. Um, and it's always for the best. And that's something that Hindus... Uh, many a time, resort to uh, when they face uh, suffering.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, in the literature I'm familiar with, in the philosophy of religion, there is a, a view called sceptical theism. And there's lots, lots written on sceptical theism, but the basic idea is just that we're not in a good position uh, to know, or at least to always know, what good can come from certain evils. So... Um Even if we look at a situation, we think we you know there's no good that we can see coming from this um we 're not in the same situation that God is in we don 't have the perspective and the knowledge that God has
0: so now we 've sketched out the problem of evil, perhaps it 's worth looking at the ways in which people commonly exculpate God
1: yeah, okay, so one um way to deal with the the problem of evil that I set out earlier is by questioning the third premise. So the third premise is that uh, states that an all-powerful and all-good God could and would prevent evil from taking place in the world. Uh, some thinkers want to suggest that whilst God could prevent evil from taking place in the world, it's not clear that he always would. Um, a one- response we find here is uh, called the free will defense. And those who hold to the free will defense think that there may be certain goods for which it is worth God allowing evils, and in particular the good of free will. Okay, so the view is in creating a world with creatures who have significant free will, and God leaves open the possibility of evil in the world.
0: So this is a good deriving from evil, not in the sense that there could be good consequences of actions that immediately seem evil, but in the idea that the right to have free will is in itself an intrinsic good. Right, that's right. Okay. Would you say that features at all in the Hindu perspective, that?
2: Yes, I think it's very similar in that God's given us this free will. And it's because of that free will we should be sort of thankful to God for giving us that free will in the first place and it's through that free will we can therefore carry out our karmas and then receive the fruits again
0: So what problems are there with the free will defence? Does that get God off the hook?
1: Okay so here's a problem we might think that in certain circumstances the good of a person having free will justifies the evil that takes place so Say um, I go in to a shop and I shoplift. You might think that the harm caused by my by me shoplifting isn't great enough to um, suggest that God should remove my free will. Okay, but let's take a more extreme example. Say a child is kidnapped and put in a basement and tortured for 10 to 20 years and then dies in captivity. Um, This is a horrible example, um, but it makes us question whether the good of free will is enough to justify God allowing this sort of evil to take place in the world. Surely we might think whilst having the freedom to choose whether or not to shoplift seems uh, like a good thing, having the freedom to choose whether or not to kidnap a child and torture the child and kill the child... That that doesn't seem good.
0: Perhaps it's worth talking for a bit about what sort of good we see free will to be. It's very difficult to think about it in terms of the kind of daily benefits we might receive in the way that we might weigh up other goods, for example, like, I don't know, never being hungry or something like that. Is that, Fraser, could you perhaps discuss why you think free will is important for humanity?
3: Sure. Well, I think it's um, whenever free will's spoken about, it's often... Spoken about, uh, spoken about negatively because um, the two examples we just had, of course, were, you know, not the best uh, examples of of humans exercising yes. their free will. But of course, free will, I suppose, from a Christian perspective, um, was originally bestowed because without free will, humans cannot turn towards God, cannot do any good that is truly good, without being truly free.
0: In as and much as the good needs to be intended as good and not predetermined for them,
3: indeed, yes. In order so, to count, in order to be praiseworthy, perhaps. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the the classic defence of Christian Christian free will is that, um, in order for human love to be properly considered love and not compulsion, um, it needs to be effected freely. Compelled love, love compelled by God, would not be free. For example, it's. I mean, it's it's possible, and of course, God being omnipotent by the classical definition of Christianity, um, that He could make a world without evil. And as Christians, I think Christians would want to say, of course, it's possible, but there is some good reason why that did not occur. Yes. Um, and the possibility, uh, and I think, I think free will must be that reason. Uh, reason, and the possibility that that free will will result in. Um, good, loving actions to be performed by those who have been bestowed with it.
0: So would you say the problem of free will is conceived of similarly in Hinduism?
2: I think before we go further, it would be good to place a caveat at this point. Yeah. That Hinduism is arguably a Western construct imposed on the traditions, the religious traditions within India by the West during colonial times and... There was never a word. There was never a word for religion, in India, and there still isn't an equivalent, um, because there, there was never a unity as such within Hinduism, that binded all these traditions together. Even today, many scholars say Hinduism is just an umbrella term, for many different religions, because there is not a single a scripture or a single god that everyone believes mm-hmm. in. Uh, therefore, some say the name Hindu was invented by outsiders. And it was a label conceived and deployed to classify a wide variety of inhabitants of the Indian subcontinent. So,
0: do you have canonical texts in common then?
2: With Hinduism being so broad, yes. Within individual traditions, there are yeah. canonical texts. Yes. So, for example, within um, there's a specific school called the Vedanta school. Mm. Uh, there are three scriptures: uh, the Brahma mm. Sutras, the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. Uh, and the Brahma Sutras, which are considered canonical. Yes. And generally within Hinduism, the Vedas yes. uh, are considered uh, to be canonical. Having said that, I wouldn't say they're equivalent to the Bible in Christianity. Yes. Um, so there isn't a, a real unity, because some traditions within Hinduism also don't place too much impo- importance on the Vedas. Yes. Therefore, there's a wide variety within Hinduism. Uh,
0: and probably a wide f- reflection of that in how different groups treat the problem of free will.
2: Yes, and the problem of evil in general. Yes. Um, So, from the perspective I'm coming from, which is the the devotional traditions within Hinduism, uh, there's the notion of the soul, the Atma, which is common to most Hindu traditions. And the Atma is considered to be just as old as God. Okay. Therefore, I could say I'm just as old as God, which is pretty cool to say. Mm. Um, So I'm on my own journey to attain liberation from this cycle of birth and death. Therefore, this free will is very, very important to me.
0: So the soul is what's reincarnated over and over again. That's, as it were, the common element between different seeming lives.
2: And to put it simply, the soul is your karma counter. Yes. I.e. the karmas of this life are onto that soul and they take them to the next life. Yes. um, Which is how the system works. Therefore, free will is is vital for me to carry out my acts and to attain liberation.
3: I think that's... A very, it might be good to sort of take stock of where we are. So as I see it, it's very important to, to um, each system as to how evil is treated temporarily. So in Hinduism, evil isn't such a problem as, as I think it is for Christianity because of the endlessness of time and of the circularity of time and the yes. fact that evil can be um, equalised and made good. Oh. Throughout or the time, denatured perhaps or denatured, or perhaps, perhaps and yes. And there isn't
2: there isn't an entity of evil. There is no yes. Satan. There yep. is no devil. Simply so
0: suffering, suffering. which is part of the system. Yes, of the suffering world. as a as a punishment.
3: Whereas in in Judaism, as I as I mentioned, um, this life is all there is. So there's no sort of there's no ability to for evil to be um, done restitu- have to have done restitution for evil, or to be to be uh, punished or rewarded. Whereas in Christianity, of course, there's the notion of this life being rewarded or punished in the next life. So there's this very clear dichotomy.
0: Yes. So burning in hell versus eternal bliss is—is uh, is that an enough of a justification then for the kind of evil that people can do?
1: So, yeah. So to.
0: Or maybe justification's the wrong word.
1: So going back to the the example of the child who's kidnapped, I tend not to want to um, to resort to heaven and hell. Um, the counter-argument that I put forward, so just to recap, um, the free will de- defence states that God may be justified in allowing certain evils because of the value of free will. An objection I put forward is, well, in some cases that seems right to us. But in other cases, in the example of the child who's been uh, kidnapped and tortured, it doesn't seem like God is justified in um, allowing this evil for the sake of um, free will. Rather, we might think that God should restrict freedom. One thought is this here. Um, This uh, example is one of the most extreme examples of evil I can think of in the world. There are not many things which I... Find more horror than the thought of a child being tortured for ten to twenty years and then dying. Um,
0: Absolutely right.
1: <laughs> Glad we're all in agreement there. So, well, let, let's take a let's imagine a different world in which freedom is restricted. Okay, so there are yes. none of these sort of cases, these extreme cases. Say in this world that we're imagining, the worst thing that someone does is someone punches another person. Um, whilst the person is shopping down the street on a Saturday. okay, yeah. And that's the worst thing that happens in that world because God has restricted evil. It still seems plausible to me that if we were citizens of that world, we would still be horrified by this event because this event of the person punching someone on the street would be the worst thing that we'd ever heard of.
0: Oh, I see, so evil is a relational construct then.
1: I think our response to evil, um, the, the amount of horror we experience, is probably relative to the amount of evil we've come across and heard about in our lives. So the, the reason that's a counter-argument is because it suggests no matter how much God restricts our human freedom, we're always going to question uh, whether God is justified in allowing the most extreme cases of evil in the world. Mm.
2: I think the fact that we find evil to be evil is a good thing in itself. Yeah? Because if we were to see someone punting someone else just to be normal... A neutral act, maybe. ..then that would show more about humanity. So the fact that we find evil to be evil is, I think, a good thing in itself, really.
3: On the other hand, there are some uh, philosophical schools, perhaps like the Stoics, who might uh, dispute that and say, well, you know... The fact that you find evil, evil, is actually, I mean, that's causing you to suffer. That's causing the human race in its, you know, in its entirety to, to, to experience pain um, and to think that something is bad. Whereas the Stoics might like to say, well, actually, there, there's no objective evil in itself. There's no one act that one can say is evil. Even murder, you can't say, if I murdered my uh, brother, you can't say that that is evil. If I was punched when I was walking down the street on a Saturday, um, I can't say that that's evil. Now they, mu- so where they where evil comes in in the Stoic system is in how they judge things. So if I consider um, being punched, being violated, to be a, an evil act, to be a badness that's befalled me, befallen me, then. I will. That, that's sort of um, a suffering, an extra suffering that, that I'm uh, heaping upon myself, as well as being punched. I'm also think, thinking, "Gosh, isn't this isn't this a horrible thing that I've that I've suffered?" Whereas, if, as the Sturks teach, you value uh, all sort of physical um, and material things neutrally, then anything that you experience in your material life or in your sort of bodily existence. Um, is neither good nor bad. Um, and Stokes would place all the all the um, worth and value uh, in things that can't be taken away in this life. For example, um, courage, mm. virtue, things, things like that.
0: So evil as something we impute or ascribe to acts rather than intrinsic property in itself.
3: Indeed. But I think mm. that's, there's a reason that Stoicism hasn't... Um, Actually, thrived because <laughs> that doesn't seem to most people right. don't like you know, right. would like to say that murder is actually an evil and there's some sort of inconsistency with saying there's no objectivity there
0: yes absolutely I suppose um, there is also the defence that in intersubjectivity there is objectivity in as much as if enough people conceive of an act as evil it's pretty it's perhaps more representative to mm. call it evil than it is to call it merely evil on the exception
1: of it sure yeah I mean one point this raises what raises the issue of objective moral facts and um, I mean it seems if you if you want to hold that the problem of evil is a problem you 're going to have to hold that there are these objective moral facts that things are actually good and actually bad yeah um, now different religious traditions have accounts of um, not only what is good and what is bad, but why those, um, why those things are good and bad. But um, you know, from the perspective of a, a naturalist, an atheist, um, the naturalist will have to give an account of objective moral facts if he or she wants to um, think that there's weight to, to the problem of evil itself.
0: So, uh, could you tell us a bit more about what a naturalist perspective entails?
1: Well. I mean there's there's debates around what exactly we mean by naturalism but if if I think that the only things that exist in the world are chairs and um grass and trees and whatever they're made out of if if I only believe in physical things it's not immediately clear um how or why I'm going to believe in things like moral facts, mm. right? Because a moral fact, just the the idea, the idea, the, a strange I, thing. right, the idea mm. that it's it's wrong to murder is uh, it's not a physical idea. So I think even though the problem of evil is a is a serious problem for theists, um, you know, the atheist still needs to give a really robust account of 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 why we should. Absolute, objective moral facts in our in our metaphysics.
3: Yes, and why there should be any distinction between, between good and bad, and why there should be laws, all of these things, atheists
1: and naturalists, materialists also have to, yeah, you know, as you say, given account for. Sure, so. and I mean there are accounts in the literature, but it's yeah, it's not a, not it's a not an easy question. task, right, mm. right.
0: So, so far we've just been talking about moral evil, but I seem to remember there being another kind of evil that you discussed. What's your response to the problem of evil concerning natural evil?
3: Well, of course, by natural evil I think we probably mean any evil that hasn't been, or any any bad that hasn't been committed by a conscious, uh, willing agent. Earthquakes, as we said, and disease, and anything that perhaps is not due to, to humans. Um and I suppose one response to that from the Christian tradition uh which also goes for for moral evil but is also quite a good response i think to natural evil, is that that of um Irenaeus and um who is a second century Christian theologian and his more recent uh, proponent or exponent john hick um and that's that life uh and our experience of evil and good are a sort of um journey of soul making um okay. and let me unpack that a little bit so yeah. he he Irenaeus taught that adam and eve weren't born um as fully developed um, agents with a sort of um, complete intellect and complete knowledge of the good and the evil um, but were
0: they born as adults is that something we know from the bible whether or not t- do you are they babies ever?
3: Well, it's actually it's, it's, it's ambiguous. There's there's no sort of um, thing that says Adam was born a, a fully grown, as made a fully grown human uh, adults. There's it's conceivable to to I suppose imagine him uh, being born as a baby and then and then Eve being created out of his ribs. I mean where yeah. where or, he has or, or, or even
1: I mean many contemporary thinkers don't think there was an adam and an eve but just this sort of the the early chapters of genesis is sort of a metaphor for the early human condition or something like sure, that. sure
3: yeah that's that's very important um, distinction to make because a lot of people are very um, cautious before they sort of say uh, place any weight on genesis yes um, you know how, how are we actually thinking this anyway irones uh, sort of um said that Adam and Eve were born as infants, uh, immature, I think is the essential word, and that their experience of the, of the world and of evil in the world, um, and of good, but yeah. but mainly of, of evil, was that of experience and of growth in virtue.
0: So do you mean that as they encounter evil, they're de- they're, they develop their conception of what good is?
3: Yes, that's right, and, and develop uh, also conceptions of virtue and how the how evil is to be dealt with mm. and i suppose more ultimately they develop their conception of um what free will is for and what god is and what the good is because it's impossible to know the good if you've never encountered the bad and i suppose that's kind of similar to your analogy uh, of the, the blue in the same painting. You know, in, in, in order for a painting to have any sort of um, meaning and uh, contrast, you need certainly some dark shades as well as light. Otherwise, it would just be a sort of amorphous, uh, you know, white space. So you need, you need evil in order to balance and to... Um, Is this uh, a
0: product of the structuralist views of theology? It seems to be quite, quite heavily based on the idea that we might um, conceive of notions as relational in character?
1: Interesting. Well, so, yeah, to pick up on the soul-making idea, um, well, let's take an example. Last, um, about a year ago, I I was injured and I experienced uh, chronic pain for a couple of months and it was all day, every day. And um, I did take medication, but it didn't take the pain away completely and and it also slowed down my mind a bit. So I experienced a degree of suffering and, and, you know, I think about, Ernest and John Hicks' response this idea of soul-making does sort of seem to make sense, you know, because there were certain um, character traits that I developed through that experience, right? So traits of patience or um, being resilient and uh, persevering. Um, and also you could say that, you know, this experience of mine gave other people an opportunity to show virtue as well, right? So doctors oh, and, vir- yeah. and nurses and, and perhaps without... This sort of suffering, or even more intense suffering the mind. it doesn't. Uh, in a world without such suffering, there would be no opportunity for us to show these uh, virtues of kindness and, and being caring. But still, you got to go to the some of the more extreme examples mm. and think, okay, all right, look, you you had a couple of months of chronic pain, unpleasant, but you got over it, you know. But mm. what about these people who have uh, conditions that last for their whole lives? And that's where I think. I mean, you almost have to go back to what we were talking about earlier, and what we're talking about from the Hindu tradition as well. This idea of mystery—that um, sometimes it is—it is very hard to know what good is coming from a situation, particularly um, for someone who's experienced suffering to such an extent that it isn't having good uh, moral, a good moral effect on the person. Say the person is becoming grumpy and violent, and all these yeah, sorts of things. Yeah. And perhaps there, you just have to—if you believe in God, you just have to think, well, maybe there, there's more going on here than I'm aware of. Mm.
2: I think also talking about this uh, practical response to evil
0: yes.
1: um,
2: in in such conditions, there's a notion in, in Hinduism of a very strong sort of motif of refuge mm. in God. Um, it reminds me of the Bhagavad Gita, a very popular Hindu text. And there's a war to be fought, and God is in this context, telling the man, Arjuna, the warrior, to fight because it's his duty to fight and to remove the evil. And at the end of of of, this, of, the, of the text, Ar- Krishna tells Arjuna, forsake everything and take refuge in me. So there's a level of trust and just faith in God in, in, I think, Hinduism. And is that
0: considered a virtue in itself? So we've been talking about evil as educative, and I suppose if we were to put it back in terms of the problem, what we would be saying is we can defend God doing evil because the learning that we get is intrinsically a good enough um benefit to balance out the detriment to the world created by that evil
1: yeah it's it's hard to know i mean to some extent yes in terms of um the moral character we develop but then you could you could paint it another way and say you know if i was to have a child and i say i wanted to make sure my child really loved me so I put all these obstacles in her way so that she kept getting hurt, and so she kept coming back to me. Uh, you know, it seems like a bit of a perverse way of yeah. getting uh, love and attention f- uh, from a child. And
3: I suppose what you said about mystery today—it's it's very interesting. And I suppose as mortal, you know, finite creatures, we're dealing with when we're, t- we're talking trying to sort of justify God, which is mm. what um, we're doing, I suppose, today. Um, there's kind of some sort of contradiction in there and and um, you know who are we from such small perspectives um, and such limited understanding to question what may well be view- viewed by theists as the will of God.
2: There's also this, um, you're saying learning, sometimes I find with these extreme examples like for example the holocaust,
3: mm. like
2: what sort of learning came out of that and what's uh, how, how was there any progress certainly. Um, mm.
3: So it's and why? And why? You know, in, if God wanted the worlds or if the communities um, affected by the Holocaust to have learnt from this, why could He not have killed? You know, why two million Jews yeah. instead of six? You know, why?
1: Why? Why was six better than two? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just on that one, you've got to at least hang a lot of quite a lot of weight on the free will defence. Yeah. I think the soul making will only go so far with something like the Holocaust. Mm. And the free will is, is a good in itself.
2: The, nat- uh, the Hindu perspective of natural evil isn't so much learning. Mm. Um, because once again, the, the starting points are different. There is no notion of the fall in in Hinduism. There's no notion of... The fall on of Satan. The fall of Satan, the, the apple, the Adam and Eve. There's, there's nothing like that in Hinduism. Um, so creation in, in, in Christianity was on ex nihilo, so out of nothing... In some Hindu traditions there is a notion of creation a uh, god being the, both the efficient and the material cause of, of of the world but in some Hindu traditions there's creation ex materia so okay. god didn't create it out of nothing god created it out of something like this there's an entity called maya so similar to plato with the demiurge um mm. so therefore god created the world out of this material called maya therefore the maya is responsible in a way for some of the evil in the world mm. secondly um, there are lower deities within Hinduism who are stewards of the world. The god of rain, the god of fire, the god of air. So God is, has delegated, this, you know, you could say, mm. the running of the world to these deities who are afflicted by uh, you know, things like pain and anger, etc. To a lesser degree than humans, but they still are. So God just leaves it to them. Now you could pose the, the question, why doesn't God intervene? and make sure there's no suffering. Um, and that really goes back down to um, God knows best. Um,
0: well, so we're starting to run out of time here. Are there any defences to the problem of evil that we haven't come across?
1: Yeah, so there's one more view that, um, it's complex, but at a very basic level, it, it just states that, given that we're made out of the stuff we're made out of, there are certain side effects which um, lead to the suffering that we experience. And there's no way to get the sort of creatures uh, that we are without using the stuff that we're made out of. And if God chooses to use the stuff that we're made out of, then... It's just a, kind of a fact, um, a natural necessity that you get with it, these other side effects of the, the diseases. And, um, yeah. So it's kind of a se- an acceptance of our embodied state. All right.
2: In Hinduism, there's also this idea of these eight factors. Um, so kal, karma, Maya. Uh, so time, your actions, your company. Mm. All of these things have an effect on what's happening in the world. And sometimes yes. one fact takes predominance over another. Okay. So even if I've been good all my life, so time could take predominance and do something evil, and a tsunami may happen or something else. So these eight factors also have a role in sort of controlling what's happening in, in the world. Mm. Although God is always seen as the ultimate uh, controller,
0: but complicates the causal narrative sufficiently that maybe the problem of evil isn't so um, stark. Yes, it's, as with um,
2: it's not as simple as just the triad of God mm. being all loving and uh, all
1: Absolutely. powerful much of the tradition thinks that the afterlife is um, you know is is, is eternal it, it it doesn't stop so you know i i've spoken about pain in my body the last couple of months we can think about people who experience pain and suffering for 60 70 years but i mean if the afterlife never ends then it, it you know it's literally just a, a speck you know, a, a point uh, on a very, very long line in terms of the endurance of the of the suffering, and the and the sort of suffering-free life that comes after it.
3: Mm. So, in a, in a way, heaven and hell as eternal kind of seem, you know, unequal to a a life led led very well or very badly. So, you might you know, it, it's it's feasible to argue that um, Hitler although his deeds were extremely, you know, <laughs> horrible and, and horrendous, um, doesn't deserve an eternal uh, punishment, damnation. damnation, because that would be unequal to, you know, his his, his evil in this world.
2: Which he does in, in Christianity, right?
1: Depends who you ask. If you ask yeah. Origin, he'll say no. If you ask some, they'll say yes. Um, a whole bunch of different views. Mm. Some will even say... They won't say, like Origen, that Hitler will be returned to God. They won't say, like others, that he'll be damned forever, but they'll say that he'll, he'll just perish, he'll cease to exist, and that in itself is a punishment.
3: Mm. Yeah, so certainly Christian, Christianity, like Hinduism, is, is not as um, simple and as, as uncomplicated than it, than it might appear to be.
0: Well, thank you very much for this um, complicated and pluralistic <laughs> offering of yeah. views on the problem of evil, and it starts on Hinduism yeah. and Christianity.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.